Thank you for joining us on Quantum Healing Today, a healing podcast. Today we have Gloria Hawker here with us, and she's going to be talking about her books that she wrote today, and a little bit about her story and her experience, and where you can also get her material. So, Gloria, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here today, Melanie. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. So, I'm very excited to hear about your books and your story. (laughs) So... Where would you like to start? Well, it's a long story, so long ago. What I thought was my first awakening, my awakening in 1988, not until a couple of years ago, a memory, when my memory banks began to bother, it was unsettling. I had a lot of questions. I just had a little memory and along with the other people, it has to do with this small airplane and the three people in the airplane. And what transpired in coming home, which uh, was during either early fall, late summer, that this did occur. And with the very few memories that I did have of it, it, it bothered me, constantly bothered me. And I wanted to undergo hypnotherapy and I took that chance when Janet and Alex Sashelesson were here in Albuquerque. Alex put me under hypnosis, hypnotherapy and well did I ever find out. The question was we were coming home from Arizona. It was already like maybe seven o'clock and it was pretty dark out and All of a sudden, there were lights surrounding the airplane. We didn't know what these lights were. We thought, oh my God, we're in military space. Because of course, you know, the flight took us near White Sands, Holloman Air Force Base. And the pilot kept saying, no, no, we're out of military space. And we'd turn off the airplane lights on the inside to try to identify what are all these lights around the small airplane. Well can't tell anything. It looks silver and with the lights. Well, as it went on, we really didn't know at that time what had happened. I woke up, I was still in the plane in a different space. It was all very, very dark. I woke up because somebody is grabbing at my arms and my legs. I was sitting in the back with this female, female friend, and um, the ungodly face Faces that I saw, the hands that were reaching, that had me, that were pulling me out of the back seat of this airplane. And then eventually walking me in a daze. I didn't know where I was. It was dark, but there was light in the distance coming from someplace. And here I saw several other, I didn't know who they were, what they were. So I called them ungodly creatures were taking me to. Then there was a door that slid open and on the inside it was so bright lights. And I noticed there was tables. And before I knew it, somehow they they put me on these tables. Medical, medical work was being done to me while I was awake. Unusual tools coming out from wherever. Bright lights I couldn't hardly see, but there were several of these ungodly creatures standing around this table. And then I blacked out, awakening as the other passengers on the airplane were also awakening. Oh, that felt like a good rest. 
where the lights were gone. No one knew anything different until we got closer into Albuquerque, the International Airport, communication with the pilot. Where have you guys been? You are late. You are like two hours late. Where have you been? Well, when we, the plane landed, the pilot was instructed to get up to the tower immediately. And before the last transmission was that we were two hours late, my family and my children were out there waiting, very worried. Uh, I had a little bit of that memory and that's what had been bothering. I don't know why, where it came from, and I had to find out. And that was the full story. Um, I take that. This happened probably, well, in the 1970s. I don't really know exact date. And through hypnosis, I gain more information. I'm able to deal with it because over time, getting to know who these greys are, not to give away my age now, <clears throat> so long ago, so very long ago, I thought was my first awakening. After a week of seeing these strange lights of where we used to live near the Sandia Mountains and could not identify what these strange lights that we were looking at. And lo and behold, one night, here is a big, which we thought was a hot air balloon because during that time, the fiesta that is held in October, the hot, uh, hot air balloon fiestas, they were able to go over the Sandia Mountains at that time. My children and myself, because of where we live, a lot of balloons, hot air balloons, would land on our street or the empty lots. My kids would run out so excited, let's go help, you know. And sometimes uh, the owner of the balloon, they would say, well, you worked hard, would you like a little lift? So they would give my kids a little lift up and then back down. But finding this so unusual because this big white light on the southeast corner of our two-story home, it was just stationary. And I went out to the balcony and, no, I don't hear the pilot, you know, turning on and off the, the hot air, the gas, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing, no movement. Called the kids out. Well, at the time, living at home was Brian and Melissa who were still uh, 12 and 14 at the time. So we're out there looking at it. It was very close to the southeast corner of our house and not that far up. What is it? It's not in a balloon and it's just stationary. Then I kind of thought, well, maybe it's probably Sandia Kirtland, Air Force bases, you know, uh, doing lab work, doing experiments, who knows? So anyway, um, my son, he started making fun of, you know, ETs and what have you. My belief at that time, I was very, well, I didn't believe in any of extraterrestrials, any other beings living out in this small universe. Right. We're the only humans. Life 
living on this world known to us as Earth. That nobody else, no, I knew of Saturn, Mars, you know, the planets that are around us, but no. Little did I know, my kids and my family knew more than I ever did. They believed in more than I ever did. Well, on a certain night, probably a night later, after I had a strange accident uh, on my way to work, I used to work at UNMH, and uh, where they had us parking, uh, where they had me park, it was about maybe three, four blocks away from the hospital. And I had two flights of stairs I had to go down. And it was like as if someone, I had made it down the first flight of stairs, got to the landing of that, started taking the next step down the stairs. And it just felt like someone gave me a hard push. And down I went, hit a concrete wall. I had witnesses, a man and a lady, they came to my aid. Well, the outcome of that, make, life sto make my story shorter. I was laid up in bed. Both legs were, kids were calling me elephant legs because of all what I pulled, what I broke, etc. That night, uh, my husband, he had an evening job, so he was working. My mom and dad stayed till about 10.30 that night, made sure the kids were in bed. I turned off the lights about 11, uh, 10.30 that night, and I was feeling all very restless, unnerving, just couldn't relax. And I'm laying there in the dark, and for some reason, the north wall of our bedroom began to fluctuate with these real pretty colors, colors of lights that we had previously seen on the Sandia Mountains near the crest. Couldn't understand why, but they were very soothing. So I'm thinking, well, it's nice, you know. But what came through the wall were five of these ungodly creatures. Two of them had little black satchels. And what they did to me that evening, I didn't know why I was trying to get away from them. I thought, you know, I'm trying to get the, to the edge of the bed, to crawl to the edge of the bed, to get away. I'm screaming. My son, he was big for his age. He played football. He had a good sized body. And I'm wondering how come he doesn't hear my screams? Why isn't he coming? No, they didn't come. Well, the events of that night is written in my book, The Beginning, which I thought was the beginning, Morning Glory, Diary of an Alien Abductee. From that night, I didn't understand. And from that night on, I began having, waking up in an unfamiliar place, laying on a hard bed. There's a lot of lights. It was like noises. Other people groaning, moaning. There's other people there lying on tables. And lo and behold, before I knew it, I'm surrounded by ungodly creatures doing medical procedures on me. I became to feel like I was nothing but a lab rat after time. And then having a shared visit with my small daughter, Melissa. She would be lying on the next table, hearing her screams. At least I thought I was hearing her screams. Not knowing at the time they paralyze you. 
They also like take away your voice where nobody can hear you, but in your head you hear and you're trying to fight them off and you can't. Some of these ungodly creatures, describe them, they have the big black bug-eyed eyes. I hardly saw any ears, nothing but a split for a mouth. How am I hearing them? How do I hear them in my head? I don't know. I am one of very few that had been taken three or four times a week for many, many years. It was very hard. I thought I was insane. Let's see, let me go back to the night, the next day of that accident. My sister had called me, and I guess I was quite nervous or something on the phone that she recognized she picked up something wasn't right. She kept asking me, Gloria, what happened? What's the matter? Are you in pain? What's the matter? I couldn't tell her because I thought I had was hallucinating that night because of some of the medicine they gave me. And she says, I'm bringing you something. Because I had told her, I said, there was just something so weird. And I told her a little bit of it. And that's when she said, I'm bringing you something. So when she got to the house, she came upstairs. She had her hands behind her back, standing in the doorway there. And she said, I'm looking at you because I just got to see if you're okay. And she walks to the bed and she pulls out this book. The name of it was Communion by Whitley Streetner. Even my sister knew more than I did. I read his book probably twice, and between she and my younger daughter, Melissa, would go to the library, come back home with dogs and books because of everything that was starting to happen. I had these pretty orbs going around the ceiling of my bedroom to calm me. What's that? Over the years, getting back to where I left off, I have met other families on board ship, other people. In fact, I had met a single woman that they had taken, and uh, her name was Priscilla, and uh, she chose, I guess, to stay with them. Eventually, she did come home, and uh, she did stay, but she died. Her obituary was in. She told me enough about herself, and she said, I need you to give this to my mother. And it was a little brooch. And she said, she gave it to me in secrecy, and she said, don't let them know that you have it. So I held it in my hand. When I got home, I hid it. And um, the next morning, well, the next night, these ungodly creatures came and they searched my whole bedroom. I, I was awake. They were digging into everything and I know they were trying to find that brooch, but I hid it so well. I don't know why they didn't find it, but they should have. Anyway, I kept that brooch of hers. This is when I started seeing more and more human beings who seemingly had authority working with these ungodly creatures. I, I didn't know who they were yet. I didn't know what else to call them until I had read in Ruth Montgomery's book, uh, there was, she wrote about this man who lived in Albuquerque. I found his name in the phone book and I wrote him a letter. And this was early December. At the end of December, I received a postcard from his wife and his, he had passed away. And she said, I think I might have enough information to help you and your daughter. Her name was Linda. 
So we did meet and she was very helpful. And I had explained to her as well, you know, ungodly creatures. Uh, I had to draw pictures and everything for her and she said, you know what they are. They're extraterrestrials and where they come from. And they are called greys. So start learning that name because (laughs) they're in your life and they're gonna be there. And of course, I didn't want them there. Now, this became my secret. And the only people that knew were a very good friend of mine and my sister and my brother who got involved. And of course, my immediate family, my children, and my husband, because I didn't want anybody. I was too. I was insane. This is not happening. I'm really insane. As time went on then, uh, she had heard that Mr. Michael Linderman was gonna be at the Indian Culture Center, you know, there on 12th Street. Mm -hmm. And she said, we've got to go. So we got there a little bit too late. Oh, the line just went all the way around the building. And we were told that there was no more room. So we went in and bought some of his CDs, went home and with more information given to me. Did I believe yet? No. Through that, she worked with us for I don't know how many months with different abductions happening. Uh, Now I'm seeing like praying mantis things that are supposed to be in my backyard that I've held in my hand. I'm seeing various different grays, different colored grays. I'm, oh my God, where's my head, you know? But Linda says, no, no, Gloria, it's, it's for real, it's for real. Well, soon she left us. There was an upset. And continuing on, my daughter and I started experiencing when we would go up, there was another mother with the same age daughter. And it seems like when on board ship, every time, there they were as well. We were almost able to communicate as much as we could and with the different things that were happening to us. And then I think the last abduction together there, it was in a mountain, the inside of a mountain. And she and I, when we found each other here, going to the same Catholic church, I think the day that we found each other, we couldn't talk to each other. We just stood there and just looked at each other. We didn't know what to say. We didn't. The new discovery, the shock of it all. They had delivered, I think that week, delivered Melissa and I and left us at their house, sitting in their kitchen with them at their kitchen table. We heard some noise outside and we did see the ship go up. I think, I don't know who discovered that they delivered Melissa and I and left us at their house, came back and took Melissa and I and brought us to the correct home. Walking down a hall, on board ship, the hall was like rounded. I've been taken to a darkened room where there was cubicles with solutions in them. And uh, it was my gray, my friend of gray, who finally, you know, he was there every single time I was taken up, even with my daughter, he was always there. Very knowledgeable, very kind. Well, he took us, took me there, and there I was able to see like body parts floating in water little fetuses, human, and hybrid. After he showed me that, then we walked down this curving hallway. Here comes two little boys running down the hallway. I'm going to tell daddy, I'm going to tell mommy on you what you did. Well, anyway, eventually we got to this room 
before I met Mr. Paul Pacheco from Mexico. And Mr. Pacheco was in an accident. He was an abductee, had been taken many times and put on board ship. I guess just because of occurrences, they were, the Grays were there just in time after this car accident mm. that he was in. He eventually lost his arms and his legs. They are trying, well, I'm sure he's completely healed by now. But at the time that I was introduced to him, yes, he didn't have his arms or legs. Uh, he lost a lot of his organs inside. What they did, they made slits in his body and the skin, his body tissue was being held up by little slats so that they could easily get in to whatever's creating the problem. They wanted him to live. So that's how they were working on his organs. He told me a little bit about himself. He said, when I get back to earth, but I try to contact his wife. And he said, I am from Mexico. And if I'm ever in Mexico too, to please try to find his wife and tell her that he is alive and that they are trying to heal him. Over time, hopefully, you know, that he did survive, that Mr. Paul Pacheco did survive, and uh, that is Rosa and his family. Uh, after many, many tests, and I began at times to feel pregnant. Yes, I know I've been pregnated, and I have two special hybrid daughters for my learning. After you have the baby, which you're impregnated, you're pregnant uh, for about three months because their babies, you know, they develop a lot quicker. And when the baby comes out, they normally let you baby on uh, a man's hand or I can fit into a man's hand just a very and as a mother you know have human babies to hold somebody with a large head not so large eyes but yet you just want to ah you know but the motherly instinct takes over and what they want is for that baby to start to suckle on your breast but like I said with two special daughters um over time, well, I had polio as a child. One of my daughters, the smaller one, uh, she, through DNA, she got polio. And they tried everything to see if they could heal, and they couldn't. That is the reasoning. They came to me that night, the five of them. They are the ones that caused the accident. I don't know the reasoning, why they had to throw me down the stairs and injure my whole body the way they did. Because I was laid up in bed for almost three months on crutches finally and what have you. Getting to know both daughters, trying to work with that little one. And it's really a sad story that eventually she did die. The older one is Winshaw. I got to grow with her or work with her. I got to see her almost every time they would take me up, uh, which was really good. Her hair was just so wiry, just sticking out everywhere, thin, dirty. They have a smell. One time I was able to take a comb up with me. So trying to comb through all the knots. She was the sweetest little girl. The only way we would communicate is telepathy. Oh, when I was combing her hair, she made a little squealing noise. And that was indication to me. She's got so we started singing. I tried to get her to sing little simple songs. Just make some words, make some noises for me. And eventually, over time, I got her to talking. We could communicate. Many nights, we had a Karen Terrier dog and two Persian cats. The wee hours of the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, I would hear Queenie downstairs playing. And she was happy with her happy barks. 
and boil my cats for a cat little that I know until Winshaw told me. I was at your home last night <laughs> and she would describe everything and I sure liked the cat and I loved I really like the cogs, cat and the dog. Um, over time, we grew close. And then intermittently, well, not intermittently, at times I, I, I was still feeling very, very uncomfortable. Michael Linderman came back to the university to give a workshop. So my husband and I went, he took me. Mr. Linderman, with his personality, he likes before he gets up on stage, he'll walk through the audience and talking to people. A couple times, he just walked right past me. And I kept telling my husband, Fred, please call him over, please call him over. And Fred said, no, Gloria, you've got to do this yourself. Well, it was about time for Mr. Linderman to give his start his workshop, his conference. And he passed right in front of me. We were in the second row there. I described this in my book as the shaking boots. Uh, I was shaking all over because my secret is going to be told and he's not going to believe me. And he passed me by and I said, Mr. Linderman, really loud. And I sat there like, you know, I didn't do that. <laughs> and he knew who called him over. He looked at me directly and he walks to me. So I stood up as nervous as I was and I told him, I said, I have been experiencing some type of abductions with what I used to call ungodly creatures, and I still call them the ungodly creatures. And I talked to him for a little bit, and he reaches into his wallet, pulls out a card. He said, if my talk ends before 10.30 tonight, I want you backstage. We're going to talk. But if it goes on past 11, he says, you've got my card. I expect you to call me Monday morning at nine o'clock. That was the most horrible weekend I had, but come Monday morning, I was so afraid because he's going to tell me I am insane. No, the compassion, the love, the understanding. And he says, do you know Mr. Bud Hopkins? I said, who? And I said, no. He said, here, you're going to talk with Debbie on the phone while I go contact on the other phone, Mr. Hopkins. Came back within, I think, 10 minutes and said, Mr. Hopkins, waiting for your phone call. Here's his phone number. This was the very beginning of a relationship because Mr. Hopkins, you know, he was one of the top investigators, researchers, hypnotherapy, which developed over time into a friendship. And yes, he did have me go to New York. I stayed with his assistant, who was also very helpful, and going almost every day under hypnotherapy on different experiences, memories. But not only that, he took the time to explain, to talk to me. Not only then, but calls at home, any problems, any abductions he wanted to know. And then he released me to his, his assistant. Yeah, she was there constantly for me and my family. Along came, while well, I was there in New York, he had a group of abductees. And one night in his home, he had everyone there for me to meet, to hear their stories, to get to know them, to make me believe I am not alone and I'm not insane. A lot of these abductees stayed in touch with me, which developed into friendships, long-lasting, helpful, guiding friendships, as well with Mr. Hopkins. When Mr. Hopkins, he, when he and his wife would come to Albuquerque en route to Roswell, he asked, take care when I come and stay with you and Fred and the family. And yeah, Fred welcomed him into our home at the time, where we spent many hours talking. He was a 
great teacher, teaching me a lot. And at that time, you know, when um, one abduction, I was taken into what I call the department store fitting rooms. I don't know why I was taken into this room, but you know, it had the cubicles and the gray left me off there, closed the door. And then I heard movement. The person came in and he started talking with the gray. And I said, my God, he's, he's a man. And I looked up and what in the world, you know, giant, okay? So one of the female greys came and got me. I don't know where she was taking me to. And I stopped in front of the cubicle. And this giant-sized man, who's about seven feet tall, looking down at me, hi, Gloria. You know, a lot of shock, a lot of, you know. And he started telling me a lot. And he said, they're not going to hurt you this time. They're going to be good to you this time. Oh, yeah, honey, you know. Anyway, right away, you know, he told me his name. But I said, he was dressed as Paul Bunyan. The exact same way, <laughs> but the only thing different too was he had dark hair, just like Paul Bunyan. So I gave him the name of Paul Bunyan. Mm -hmm. He was there after every abduction. I got to know him. Okay, that species, they, they're beautiful, very nice, very knowledgeable, one of my teachers. After, uh, well, working with the Hawkins for many, many years, and, you know, at one point, because the scene my daughter and what would happen within our house to her son i wanted my children to be safe you know mother's love mother i was a mother i don't want these beings whoever you are you stay out i talked to my brother i talked i think to to bud about it and they said if you constantly start repeating what you want to say to the grays or whoever to leave your children alone and you have to right now repeat get it up into your head what happened and you can tell them well one night it happened what i had wanted to know was you know we have at least my family people i know friends i know many many people believe in god and because we abide by our lord's so-called rules that was part of my speech to the doctor that I wanted to say to this infamous doctor who had no respect for human life. And I didn't think I could, but here Raytheon and I are walking down this curvy hall and who comes in? Infamous doctor with another gray. Raytheon tells him telepathically, Gloria has something that she really wants to tell you. Raytheon had already read my mind and knew. The outcome was I was able to tell and talk. And I said, you all evidently don't have what we have in our lives of creation of our Lord, our God, that you don't have. And we live by his rules, too, because we want to be a better person, kind, peaceful, loving, hardworking, all that. And you don't. You don't have any respect for us human beings. And he stopped. And I've heard remember he closed his arms, his long arms. Gloria, Boy, did he ever tell me about creation and about knowing things, not even our Pope, not even the smartest scientist, theologian, what he knows and what they know of the greatest, most powerful energy that we call God. And yes, they do. Life on board then, since that point in time, changed for me. No more tests, no more medical. I found myself sitting in like a schoolroom with some other people, very few people. That schoolroom extended down here to earth, sitting in a cinder block, very highly guarded with machine guns, with two teachers, 
who had the white lab coats on, but brown military uniforms teaching us biowarfare, this new substance, Kalite, and then we'd be taking gannet wardship, learning about the microscopes. They would bring us little species in little species jars, not jars, but the little round uh, specimen, looking for certain things, reporting what we see. We would always sometimes now have to put, you know, like what the astronauts wear, the helmet, the white clothes with the oxygen moving inside. In the labs, they would take us to work with this substance. There, I began seeing, boy, that man sure looks very familiar to me. Yeah, the next day I see his picture in the paper. He's an astronaut, right, under a different name. Other people there that I would see working along, knowing they had been there so many times. I'm also called in a lab, which is military. You're being abducted by top profile people from the government. This happens worldwide with certain alien abductees. And the top profile people I did write about and drew pictures of in Morning Glory, Diary of an Alien Abductee, and you can't identify them. One particular man who I met, it's very kind, kept apologizing for the way I was taken at night, what they would do to my husband so he wouldn't fight. There's so many memories there, so many stories coming from government, high government profile people who don't care about human life either. And just because they want to be the first with alien technology, first worldwide. Getting to know other extraterrestrials, beings, reptilians, I'm sure you have heard of them. Abductions after abductions, memories after memories, and how I dealt with it at that time, I don't know, but I did. I think because of the love of my family, the love and care of some special friends and the community of abductees, researchers. I wanted to give back to this community. I had a very dear friend and I told her my wishes because of all the help, the love given to me and my family, the learning, the teaching from all the abductees that I met, friendships that were that grew within this phenomenon. I mean, there was just so much. And giving back, she said, well, why don't you become a hypnotherapist? And I know I talked it over with Bud. Would I be the type of person to do this? They all agreed. My friend Catherine, yes, she found the school for us. And her and I, yeah, we went to classes, a year worth of classes. When I received my state certificate that week, I started working with alien and the lab abductees. After morning glory, got it published, saw the reaction it was having. I was then talked about, Gloria, you need another book. You need to write out another book. Any place I started book signings and what have you. Gloria, we need to hear more. So I sat down and started writing Morning Glory Ever After. A lot more information in here about further memories of abductions, experiences, people I met, people I've lost over time. It was published 2015. Thousands of people have. My books, I feel, have helped because of the responses that I get back. And through all the conferences that I've been asked to go speak, the radio programs that I have been on, so many people sending for me. A horrible threat comes from our government, though. You talk, you're going to pay. I saw this happen to a very dear friend, Kate Wilson, 
who was a sign. I well, she did work with Bud Hopkins, and I raised John Mack. I got to work along with John Mack. Also, I got to know John Mack quite a bit through the peer group. And um, yeah, he was always made available whenever I had a, uh, a question on an abductee that I felt I could not give her the correct advice or understanding. I mean, there was always their understanding and to know that you're not alone. Well, at one point uh, between Virgil's staff and Mr. Virgil's staff and Kate Wilson, they would compare a lot of the alien mill lab abductees to with people who experienced almost the same type experiences. They'd get you together. I know you know the Sandia Mountains and what I'm gonna Pontes and Sue Walker and how I ended up within this group, taking one night being in this dark cavern, not knowing how I got there, but I do remember they do have a large area where small craft land. I remember walking away from this area and meeting Yart, who is also a gray. They look like grays, but they're called Pontes. Um, they're very friendly, very knowledgeable. Some are funny, some are very serious. Um, with, with Yart, yeah, he told me that he was a hybrid son, my hybrid son, but um, he was showing me some work that he uh, does in the San Diego Mountains, and that is providing fuel, making fuel. And he had two long tables and of rocks. They were real pretty rocks, red and almost like a light colored orange rocks. The whole table is full of it. Well, they go through a process to get the gas out of these rocks. It's just a certain rock. And yes, it is found on the outside of Sandias or wherever, all the way down to uh, southern New Mexico, near, you know, Texas, El Paso. And these ships, you know, they constantly bring in these rocks and with other things. But he really didn't show me the process, what they do with the rocks to obtain fuel for the other little ships or even the large ships that will happen to come. Carrying, you know, other uh, entities. Most of the species, especially all the cultures of the grays species, you know, there's many cultures. They have different color skin, mm -hmm. you know, white like ours, or they're gray. Uh, some are four feet tall, five feet tall, six feet tall, mm -hmm. you know, different sizes, yeah. as well as the other entities. Uh, throughout my uh, guiding uh, other abductees, I've learned of other extraterrestrials that I had never met or been with. Mm -hmm. um, it's very far well in expense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, one of the cultures, I don't know if it is from Raytheon and the group of Greys or Paul Bunyan or who it is that will come in their spaceships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They've done this a couple of times. Uh, I think like what I discussed with you earlier about the airplanes, you know, we're in the path of the landing. As far as out as I live, you know, uh, they, they travel. But this one night, um, last fall, it was still warm with, uh, I normally sleep with my bedroom door open, the balcony door open to get fresh air in. And of course, at 1030 every night, you know, you see this airplane, airline coming in with passengers. Well, this one night, it was kind of funny because this plane came from the east 
and the lights are on the side of it. Very bright lights. Couldn't figure that one out, but it stopped. It just stopped in midair. And then as I got out of bed, it went down and I thought, oh my God, that airline just crashed. What do I do? And it went down and it stops. And then it goes west to the left and then it goes back up. And by that time I'm out to the balcony and it just went west. And I said, hey, you guys, you left me. You haven't seen me in a long time. Come back. I want to go too. I hope I didn't holler that out too loud for my neighbors to hear. <laughs> but uh, like that, and then last week we had another incident, and yeah, I called a friend right away, and she lives uh, a lot east, southeast from me, and she went outside to see if she could see it as well, but no, she couldn't see it, and about an hour later, yeah, they said bye. So with just very, very few memories that I have, things are starting to come through, maybe for another book. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I did hopefully is put enough information of my mine and my family's life that we went through. And you know, the worst thing was losing my husband. And where can um anybody buy Morning Glory? I'm on uh okay, Amazon. I believe Barnes and Noble is still handling it. Uh yes, you can get it online. Can anybody get both of them. So that's Morning Glory and Morning Glory Ever After. You can get both of them on Amazon? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kindle and paperback or one of the other? Um, one of either, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, and like I said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm truly, truly amazed that these two stories have helped, I want to say, thousands of people. I mean, I'm just truly, I never dreamed that it would go out far and wide like it like they have and uh because of the responses that i've received back and the printing company you know they, they send me whatever mm -hmm. and yeah they've done so good what other language is this book in? oh okay I, a couple of years ago probably about five years ago way time has passed um my printing company lightning source contacted me and asked me um would i allow my book to be converted into Japanese. Sweden uh, in England uh, right now is really uh, getting a lot sold in Australia. But like I said, if it helps at least one person, which it has helped many, that's why I've gone forth with what I have with the books and the books developed into conferences, radio programs, uh, computer programs, um, Filming. I was in a movie. Let's talk. Is it out for release? Can anybody oh, watch it somewhere? The original <laughs> movie called The Hidden Hand, okay, did not make it. So the producer, he redeveloped it and it's called The Hidden Hand 2, I think. Um, it sits on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, that movie, uh, the actors mm -hmm. were Al Bulix and I when Al Bulix was still alive. And uh, over time, you know, the people that I that have passed, either in unusual ways or the people that guided me, who taught me, who were patient with me, people that I ever worked with, Gabe Valdez. I don't know if you ever heard of Mr. Gabe Valdez here in Albuquerque and with Dulce, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I. 
I wrote some. It's either in Morning Glory Ever After or Morning Glory Diary. In Morning Glory Ever After with Mind Control, which the extraterrestrials are famous for and the military are famous for. I talk of a client, what's happened to him in his life and how he came to me for help and what happened. Such a pleasure to hear a little bit more about your story and your experiences and how the books came about and that you're still going forward with another book and you haven't given up. (laughs) Well, I thought I had. (laughs) Well, (laughs) sometimes you just need a break. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. If anybody ever wants to get a hold of you, is that possible? Now they can get a hold of me through Damom on my email. Okay. That is D-A-M-O-M-1-5-1-6-5 at AOL.com. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're very welcome.